The first part of the Gospel of John is to clearly present Jesus as the Messiah to the Jewish nation. It is to present Christ to his own people. It is to present their Messiah. They have had opportunity through word and action to recognize him as the Son of God, as their Messiah. And although he was embraced by many, he was rejected officially by the Jewish leadership, the, the Pharisees and scribes. In fact, at the end of chapter 10 will be the last time that he talks with them. He speaks with them. He is now going to move away from the nation of Israel in the Gospel of John to what he came to do is to die for our sins. This is clearly seen in chapter 10, if you'll go with me, to verse 40. We'll skip ahead to verse 40. This is his exit out of the first part of the book of John. Verse 40 says, And he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. He begins his public ministry at the baptism of John, and he's going to end it now at the end of chapter 10, done with the Jews as far as a presentation of himself as the Messiah. They will fully reject him at the end of this chapter and be cast into utter darkness. And he will be done as far as, far as presenting himself nationally. But look with me, if you will, these last few statements he's going to make to this Jewish leadership beginning in verse 22. These are the darkest of times in his ministry. Verse 22 says, at that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus walked in the temple in the colonnade or Solomon's porch, the colonnade of Solomon. Now before we go on to verse 24, let me set the scene for you because it's full of symbolism, full of uh, meaning here. It's said that it was the time of the feast of dedication and it was winter. This is the only time this particular feast is mentioned in the New Testament. And we know which feast it was because it was winter time. Uh, it is named several things. Some call it the Feast of the Maccabees. Some the Festival of Illumination or the Festival of Lights. It is a recent addition to the Jewish calendar beginning in 165 B.C. It occurred at the purification or rededication of the temple at the hands of Judas Maccabee. Now I must launch you into a little bit of history to help you understand the moment. Because the moment is in full orb for Christ's ministry. And every, every word in these few verses means something. In 162 B.C., a man named Antiochus Epiphanes invaded the land of Israel, capturing the temple 
in decimating Jerusalem. Antiochus was an evil, sinful ruler of the north from Syria. He is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist himself. Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes meaning the appearing of a god, he claimed that he was God, and when he came to Jerusalem, he captured the temple. When he captured the temple in 162 B.C., he desecrated it by taking a hog, a pig, which is to a Jew the most disgusting of animals, and slit his throat, sacrificing the hog on the sacred Jewish altar of the temple spreading his entrails and blood all over the temple. And for three years, Antiochus Epiphanes and the, and the Syrian army occupied Israel, Jerusalem, and the temple precincts. They set up a brothel within the temple, a place of prostitutes, can you imagine? And for three years, a man and a family by the name of the Maccabees battled this far superior army and eventually defeated it. Um, Judas Maccabees is one of the most fascinating characters of all Jewish history. He's mentioned in the book of Daniel. He's actually prophesied in the book of Daniel that the Jews would do great exploits. For the space of three years, the Syrian army came to know Judas Maccabees as Judas the Hammer. Because when Judas attacked with a much smaller force, he surprised the army running out of the woods, hammering them in defeat, and then running back into the woods. They couldn't find him, couldn't capture him, and eventually he defeated their army. And in 165 B.C., they recaptured Jerusalem, recaptured the temple, and they had a great festival. We know it today as Hanukkah in the month of December. Great history. That temple that was desecrated, Judas said, tear it down. Build a brand new altar. Here, Jesus, at the Feast of Dedication, was presenting a new altar to come to God. One of grace, not of law. It is called the festival or feast of the illumination or lights. Because lanterns were, lights were ablaze within the temple as they sang and worshipped for eight straight days. The miracle that occurred during this time, there was one vat of oil that had not been polluted by Antiochus. Antiochus. And that vat of oil that had been sealed and hid away by a Hasmonean priest was now brought out, unpolluted. But it was not enough oil to run the, the lights for eight days. But it did. And for those eight days, when that oil should have run out, it did not run out. Until they were able to create more oil to keep it all going. Jesus, in the presentation of his Messiahship at the Feast of Festival or Feast of Dedication, presented himself as the oil that would not run out. Ever! At the Festival of Dedication, 
it became a custom to take eight lights or lanterns and light them ablaze. And then every day, put one light out until the last day it was all put out. That's the old traditional way of doing it. But a new custom came on the scene by the disciples of a rabbi named Hillel. Tough to pronounce, I'll say it differently every time I say it. (laughs) Hillel's disciples, who were the new, more contemporary disciples, preferred to light the first light the first day. And then every day through the eight days, one more light, one more light, until the end of the eight days, there was a blaze of light. Well, the old school was by a prophet or a a rabbi named Shemel. Shemel was the old school who preferred to begin with one light or to begin with eight lights and break it down to one. Follow me carefully. Jesus, as he has presented himself to humanity, is either to you the one light, the more you see and the more you believe, becomes more of a light, more of a light, more of a light, until he has a blaze in your life and he's all that matters. That's the new school. That's grace. The old is this, the presentation of the full Messiah. And the more you don't believe, the more you reject him, that light is steadily put out day by day until you are in darkness. What a moment. What a festival of dedication. And it was winter. Let me show you what the colonnades looked like. There were columns built on a porch some 400 feet above the valley that Solomon had built. And the wind blew through these colonnades. And it was winter. And winter in Jerusalem is cold. And a life apart from Jesus Christ is cold. And the dedication that he was presenting himself, these Jewish leaderships were in the winter of their lives. Notice also he was not in the temple precinct. He was outside the temple proper. Rejected. One more point of symbolism before we move on. In Exodus chapter 12, when a lamb was selected for slaughter, it was to be separated from the normal flock of lambs for four days. Here Christ was now being separated across the Jordan for probably four months now before Passover comes. This, this, this story is just explodes with meaning and purpose. Notice, let me read it again. At that time, the Feast of Dedication Hanukkah took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Watch what happens. So the Jews gathered around him, literally encircled him. And they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Sounds like an honest question, doesn't it? It's not an honest question. These Jews surrounded him like a pack of wolves. You know, wolves don't hunt alone. Wolves hunt in packs. Where you see one, there are more. And here this pack of wolves, if you will, surrounds Christ. And notice how they construct the question. Interesting how questions are constructed sometimes, isn't it? Back up and listen to the questions that are asked you. This was nothing more than a trap. Let me tell you why I believe it was a trap. I want you to look at verse 31 in your Bibles. Look at verse 31. It says the Jews picked up stones. This is the second time they're going to, from the translators, pick up stones. But before, a few chapters before, when it says to pick up stones, the Greek means to pick up stones. This phrase in the original Greek was a completely different word. It carries with it the idea of bearing something, carrying something, bringing something with you. Translators kind of missed it. Point is, these Jews didn't pick up stones. They brought stones to the party. Do you understand the difference in these men? First was a reaction of, you claim to be God? I'm offended. I am infuriated. Let's go get stones. This is a pack of wolves encircling Jesus Christ, baiting him with a question. Stones under their, to- under their cloaks, ready to launch them. How bad is sin? How bad is sin? Notice the framing of the question. He literally blames them for not believing on him. Follow that? He says, how long will you keep us in suspense? The reason we don't believe in you, Jesus, is you haven't given us enough information. You're holding back. The reason that I'm not saved or believe in God is because God hasn't revealed himself to me. Do you understand the hideousness of that argument? Do you understand how that's used all over the globe? I don't believe in God because you haven't provided enough evidence for me. How hideous is that? Notice what he says. I told you. (laughs) There it is. I told you. You haven't been listening? I said it over and over and over again. Notice he didn't say, and you don't believe. He said, you do not believe. What had he fulfilled? Take a look at Isaiah chapter 61. Let's do it in English rather than Hebrew. (laughs) Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. this, This is the scrolls these men had. This is what they live by. And look what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord's favor. That was his first coming. That was what he declared up in Nazareth when he had a chance to preach. And he stopped there, in the middle of the verse. Because the second part of the verse hasn't been fulfilled yet. What words had he given them? Look at it. My father works and I work, he said. Putting himself on equal ground with his father in heaven. He said, Scripture, he told the Jews, he said, look, you, you look at the Scripture, you think you have life in there. They're the things that testify of me. Taking the entire Old Testament and making it Christocentric. Christ central within the entire Old Testament. How much clearer can you be? He said, I am the bread of life. He said, if any man thirst, let him come to me. He said, I told you these things. You don't believe. I am the light of the world. I am from above. He told them, if you don't believe, you're going to die in your sin." These were Jews who believed they didn't have any sins because they were Jews. Do you understand the radical statements of Jesus? How he clearly told them these things. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Was he not clear? He said, I am the good shepherd. What deeds did he do? By the way, take a look at verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Stop there. Take a look at these. These are just a few of the many deeds of Jesus Christ. Most he performed in their presence. He heals a crippled man at Bethsaida. He feeds the multitudes. You can't feed 5,000, probably 15,000 in a corner. Word gets out. He gives sight to a blind man. He raises the dead. He turns water into wine. He heals a woman of an issue of blood. He had a great day of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. (laughs) Only God could have done the things that he did. He walked on water. Well, why couldn't they believe? Take a look at it. This is fascinating. But you do not believe. Why? Because you are not of my sheep. You're not mine. Isn't that amazing? See, origin means everything. Source means everything. You're either his sheep or you are not his sheep. And he says, the reason that you do not believe the things that I've said and the things that I've done, that you do not have, the reason that you are the center of your life and I'm not, The reason why you do not believe is that you are not my sheep. Because if you were my sheep, there's some characteristics that we'll look at next week. Not this week, but next week. To show the characteristics of the true sheep of God. Here he simply 
pouring his heart out to these scribes. If you think this was vindictive, you don't know the master. If you think this was in your face to prove them wrong, that's not what he's trying to do. Do you understand he's still trying to reach these men? He's trying to show them, look, I said all the things that point to my Messiahship. I did all the things that show that I was God in the flesh, that I am God. I did all those things. I said all those things. The reason you don't let it sink into your brain is you're not mine. Faith is not an intellectual choice. Faith is a choice of morals. It is a decision to leave self and sin and run to Christ. That's why faith is so difficult for us. Because it really means we're running away from ourselves and sin. That's where we'll stop today. Three things. The depths of sin is to blame God for our plight. That's really the ultimate issue of it all, isn't it? Now before you so quickly cast that off aside, believer, do you in your heart blame God for your plight in life? Now I know things have happened to you well beyond your control. And they've happened because there was sin in this world. Not because God orchestrated it. Now, He could still use it in your life, but notice how sin issues out. For the lost person, it is to say, I haven't seen enough evidence. Oh, really? Are you breathing? Can you understand the words that I'm using right now? You have an intellect. Look at the world around you and the glory and beauty of everything there. Look at the miracle of birth and life. And if that weren't enough, listen to the gospel message of a Christ who came to this earth to die in your place on a cross to bring us back to God out of our sin, out of our rebellion. What more evidence do you need? Well, you don't need any more evidence. Because the choice is moral, not intellectual. It's to leave your sin and come to Christ. And believer, it's the same for us. To recognize sin, forsaking it, confessing it, following the Messiah when He speaks to us. You hear a lot of voices, don't you? Most of them are wrong. You hear voices within your own heart of things to do and say. Most of them are wrong. But to listen to the shepherd's voice, sheep, and to follow his voice, follow his will, follow his heart, follow his life. I'm getting into next week's message. (laughs) But never let a lost person tell you there's not enough evidence. The reason they don't want to choose Christ is because they don't want to leave their sin, their self. That's it. Heaven or hell hangs in the balance of that. We would gray it all together, but God says it's black and white. You either are my sheep or you are not. And if you are not, because you haven't come to me, no amount of things that I do or say will mean anything at all.
Facts are stubborn things, are they not? Truth is not torn down by anyone. Number two, we are surrounded by evil. And when you are, smile, because he has already defeated evil. He faced it when they surrounded him like a pack of wolves. Do you really think for a moment the Messiah was intimidated? That he cowered? That he looked down? He looked them in the eye. As Paul did to the, to the evil sorcerer in the book of Acts, he looked him in the eye. Because he had the boldness of God. John Knox was a Scottish preacher who lived a couple hundred years ago and he faced kings and queens and Bloody Mary, stood against governments, spent a lot of time in prison for it. And this is what he said, God and one man are always a majority. And when God is surrounded by Pharisees, I promise you, he was a majority in the thing. In his good little book, Philip Keller writes, the shepherd looks at the good shepherd, he writes this about sin. This was true of his days upon earth, the fact that he faced sin as it is today. On this occasion, his attackers went so far as to declare that he was a raving maniac and that he possessed by a devil. Several times he slipped through their clutching fingers, but eventually they like bloodthirsty hounds, got him. And then Keller writes this, but truth does not simply die that way. Truth does not disappear in the face of evil. Truth is as indestructible as God is indestructible. Truth endures forever. Truth remains eternal. So down the long avenues of time, men have turned angrily amid the darkness and despair of their dreadful deeds in order to attack truth. They have derided it. They have despised it. They have tried to demolish it. Or better, we should say, in their blindness and ignorance, they have desired to do so. And they have not been able to do so. And they never will. Surrounded by a pack of wolves? Have you been? Snarling and showing their teeth. Biting. Looking intimidating. Smile. Smile. Because when you're in the truth and you're standing on Christ, He has already defeated that evil. We'd like to live in a world where we think evil and sin does not exist. I'm here to tell you as a preacher of the gospel, it does exist. It is very real. And it's very destructive, hurtful, and that's why God hates it. Well, I don't know, maybe we've, we've lived beyond the idea of sin and evil. Maybe it's just been pushed under the rug. But for his sheep, belief, is not something in the past for you and I. It is an ever-present reality today. I ask you, do you believe today? Not whether you've been saved in the past, that's important. But do you believe God today? Not a man, 
not a preacher, not a church, not a theology. Do you believe God? You see, when God gets really big in your mind as he truly is, the evil becomes very small, almost laughable. Do you believe today? Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, not that they didn't believe, but he said, you do not believe. Do you? Faith in an invisible God absolutely transforms the present reality. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for a passage of scripture like this for Jesus walking in Solomon's porch, a place that Solomon built, the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth. And here is the wisdom of God himself walking in the very same porch, ignored by those who hate him, bringing rocks to stone him before he even says a word, looking to condemn in the very framing of a question to this man. Their hearts have already been made up. I pray, Father, that in this place uh, we would understand the sufficiency of Christ, that as he was surrounded by a pack of wolves, he was not intimidated one iota, that he stood in truth and he stood as God. We can have that same confidence in this world that we live in, that as we at times are surrounded by wolves, we stand on the truth of the gospel and the truth of the scripture and the reality of the presence, the very ever-present Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the scripture that cheers our hearts and shows us a Messiah that we can trust in and live